Hi, my name is William McKenzie. I'm an artist and lawyer and I'm fascinated by people. I paint them, I speak to them every day, I solve their weird and wonderful legal problems and their creative processes and what inspires and drives them is a particular fascination of mine. And so I am excited to launch my new podcast series where I'll be interviewing people with a passion from a range of different industries and sectors including literature, history, art, religion, science and many more to get an understanding of how they think, what inspires them and why they're passionate about their subject. I'm very excited because today is my first episode and I'm going to be chatting to my sister Henrietta McKenzie. Hello. Hi. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast as your first guest. I'm very, very honoured. Well, I didn't have much choice, really. We've been locked down for the past 300 years. And as you're in the bubble, you're one of the few of the five or six people I actually get to see and speak to. But you have published your first children's book, The Secret Lives of Two Googly-Eyed Cats. It's about your daughter, my niece, Penny, and her toy, two toy cats, and it's written in support of Great Ormond Street Hospital. That's right, isn't it? That is right, yes. And um, so welcome to the podcast, Henrietta. Thank you very much. Um, so let's talk about the book first. Uh, how did you come to write the book? And where did you get the idea for the two googly-eyed cats? Well, it all started about, um, oh, about three years ago, actually, when Penny was only a week old. Um, she developed a potentially quite dangerous condition on her face and actually internally around her airwaves called segmental hemangioma. Um, it's a bit of a mouthful to say, but it's uh, essentially an overgrowth of blood vessels that forms a red mark and swelling um, externally and also internally. And so we had to have like quite a few weeks of doctor's appointments and we eventually referred up to Great Ormond Street Hospital where she's diagnosed. Um, and then subsequently for the first two years of her life she was medicated which significantly disrupted her sleep patterns. Mm. So we were, I was up at like you know 2 a.m 4 a.m you know every night so I used to make up a lot of stories about Penny and her two two soft toy cats to try and soothe her so you know saying if she went back to sleep her two naughty googly eye cats would sneak out and cause all sorts of disruption in the local neighborhoods and get up to all sorts of mischief and then when we wake up in the morning we can find out what they've been up to um, so I used to do that um, for quite a few months and, you know, eventually I just got around to writing it down during my maternity leave. Um, and then it sort of turned into a book. Yeah, well, that's great. Now, I, I, I remember when she was first um, diagnosed and given medication, she became sort of manic and was rushing around all the time. It must have been quite tough. Yeah, it was quite exhausting, actually. She was, she's a particularly active baby anyway. And then sort of layer that with medication as well. So she wasn't one for going to sleep or staying asleep. Yeah. And in the book, the cats meet the fearsome next door neighbour dog. Um, where did the inspiration for the dog come from? So actually the inspiration was from our neighbour's Bernese mountain dog called Nala. But I didn't actually realise that I was inspired by the dog until... I had um, got the illustration done. Because in my head, this scary dog, which then turns out to be the hero by rescuing the cats when they get stuck in the snow, 
Um, when I was working with my published illustrator, I said, can I have a Bernese mountain dog cross our station type dog? And then when the finished dog illustration was done, I realised it was really similar to Nala. So I'll credit her as my inspiration. Yeah, Nala's a great dog. She's particularly good for children because she's large and bumbly and you can go up and hug her. Um, but tell me a bit more about Penny's condition. Yes. Um, so with a bit, a bit more detail from what I was talking about earlier. Um, so when she was day, she was like six days old, she started uh, developing this really weird rash around her face. At first we thought it must be some sort of milk rash. But then that spread um, basically all the way up to her left ear, into her ears, in her mouth, on her tongue, on her gums. Her left cheek was really swollen. Um, it was all the way down her neck. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was really, really angry red rash. So the whole air up there is like block red colour and swollen. And um, we took her to the local GP who didn't have, didn't know, never come across this before. Then we ended up in A&E again. They ran loads of tests. They didn't really know what it was. So we ended up then, as a week or so later, going to a local private hospital in Surrey and uh, to visit the dermatologist, um, who again wasn't sure, but referred us up to Great Ormond Street Hospital. Um, and there we saw um, the dermatologist, and Penny had a series of tests. So she saw the cardiologist who checked her heart. Then she had an MRI scan and, and then an endoscopy under general anaesthetic, um, sort of a few weeks later. And then eventually we got her diagnosis that she had a segmental hemangioma um, when she was six weeks old. And she was put on um, medication to help reduce the hemangioma. So this was a beta blocker called propanolol. And she was on it for nearly two years. And um, it was really effective at helping to reduce the hemangioma. But we had, she experienced you know, quite a few side effects in that it did make her a little bit uh, hyper at times. And then it also lowered her blood sugar level so she couldn't sleep through the night without waking up hungry. Um, so I had to normally get up a few times in the night to give her milk and then try and soothe her back to sleep. Sometimes she didn't go back after that. So, you know, we'd be up between two and five or yeah. two and six sometimes or we just get up for the day at three or four a.m. Um, and she didn't actually sleep through the night until she was about two and a half years old. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't sleep train her while she was medicated. Yeah. But because she wasn't born with the... Con well, you couldn't see the condition when she was born, could you? No. Yeah, she I, I she remember, wasn't born with it. I remember you sent me a photo about a week, maybe two weeks after she was born and... That's when I felt I saw for the first time the red blotch that appeared on her face. And I remember thinking, what the hell was that? And at that time, you didn't know, did you? Yeah. No, we didn't know. The diagnosis wasn't confirmed until she was six weeks old. So it was a, it was quite uh, frightening, actually, because no, the doctors were, they thought it did look quite serious, but they, didn't, they weren't really sure what it was. Yeah. Um, and what was that like, sort of coping with her on that medication? And um, so it was pretty hard work to be honest so I didn't really get a lot of sleep until she was about two and a half um, so it was quite tough at times um, and then just having to make sure she'd had her medication at the right time um, and then we had regular trips up to Great Ormond Street as well which is quite tiring with a little person 
so we had to, we went up um, monthly for about six months, and then it, it it became sort of every two to three months, and now yeah. it's just annual. Yeah, particularly tiring with a little person who doesn't like staying still. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How is she now? Um, yeah, she's fine. So um, she's also so I forgot to mention earlier she had a she's got had a very very swollen lower lip. Um, which actually meant that speech was quite tricky for her. Um, so she was a late talker. Um, she found it really hard to say um, the, any words without the letter M, where you'd use your mouth to, to uh, form the letter. Um, so that was quite tricky. So we did see a speech and language therapist. So now she's all caught up in speech. Um, we've still got some of the redness, which um, can be lasered off under general anaesthetic later this year. Um, but the swelling on the left side of her face has gone right down, which is critical actually, because there's not really a lot they can do about that. Um, and then she might have to have some plastic surgery on her lower lip when she's sort of seven or eight. Yeah. Or eight. They just the doctors want to see how far the hemangioma will go down on its own before yeah. they intervene with surgery. Yeah. No, you could quite easily look at her now and not really know anything's wrong. Um, but let's get back to the book so is this a, this is the first book you've written is that right have, or have you written anything like this before um so i've actually written about three books but um only one published the others are sort of still in like uh, editing process i'd say okay um and um how long did it take you to write the book um so i think i initially spent a, um maybe a few months writing it and then I put it away and came back to it maybe sort of six months later. Mm-hmm. So um, and then did a lot of editing before before I submitted it. So I probably sort of on and off was about a year I reckon. Yeah. Um, it worked quite well um, writing it and then just having the breaks to come back to it because they're with fresh eyes and then I just managed to polish it up a lot and then I did use the editing powers of my mother, <laughs> our mother, to yes. to. Um, go through it and give it an extra polish. And did you try out the various drafts on Penny? No, I didn't actually. She'd never um, heard it until I read it to her with the finished book. Yeah. She still doesn't quite believe that's her either. <laughs> and those are her cats. <laughs> so tell me about your writing process. Um, so I just write basically from my imagination. Um, and so the stories were created from my imagination with these two toy cats, Millie and Tilly. Um, and then I just find that ideas never come out in a logical order, ever. So I, I normally like carry a notebook around and scribble things as they come out, or write it on my iPhone notes, and then I uh, assemble them together, and then gradually it turns into a kind of a narrative. And then I'd put it down and come back to it, um, to have got that reflection time I think that really helps to yeah. then just keep kind of polishing it up until you end up with it I mean it's only 600 words but actually it's quite tough to fit a, a whole like a narrative that works would resonate with a three to five year olds mm. and you've got the rhyming right as well because it's all too easy to have like forced rhyming where the yeah. words don't quite fit so mm. um, it's actually a little bit tougher I think in that respect would you have a writing schedule? Would you like sort of have a time during the day or the week where you would sit down to write or would it just when inspiration struck? 
Well, I think it was maternity leave, so it was basically when Penny was asleep or like somebody else was looking after her, like yeah. my parents. So I didn't really have a schedule then, but if I was, I think right now, because she's at nursery, I would say the morning mm-hmm. is the sharpest time. And then when I'm running, I have all sorts of random other ideas that I just quickly write down when I get back. Morning's most creative time for me as well, I find. It's certainly when I'm at my best. Do you have a sort of, do you have anything that you, drives your inspiration, like a soundtrack you listen to or things you have on going on in the background when you write, or do you need silence? So, no, I don't need silence, but I need music that doesn't have any words because yeah. I, I can't um, write to um, lyrics because I just end up listening to the lyrics and not concentrating what I'm writing. So, um, yeah, anything from sort of jazz or classical or uh, something with a bit of a beat if mm. I'm a bit tired. <laughs> I need to, like, something to pep me up a bit. Um, but, yeah, I just... The morning is probably the best time, but um, sometimes yeah. in the evening I can like come up with ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I find I can't paint to music. It's it distracts me too much. So I need um, lightweight chat. So cricket commentary is perfect because nothing happens. It's just people burbling along. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> I I wouldn't write to cricket. I don't. Yeah. Well, this weekend's been good because there's been India, England, <laughs> and, and it's been a very slow, boring game. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So you, your book's published by Austin Macaulay. How did you get a publisher? Um, research, essentially. I know nothing about the publishing industry. Um, never worked in it. Never published anything. So I, when the, when the, the bit was fi- finished, um, I just researched online, looking for publishers that take manuscripts from new authors. So I found about about five I think and I just sent them the the manuscript um, on online and you just submitted like a synopsis a book synopsis and then you know the whole manuscript yeah um, and then Austin Macaulay came back first so they came back within four weeks but in fact you were accepted by two publishers in the end, I, I think I had another offer and then the third one contacted to say you, you're down to our final shortlist we'll come back soon did they ever come back? Well, I said thank you, but I've already signed with somebody okay. else. So thanks yeah. very much. That's pretty good. Three out of five. <laughs> it was. I was really surprised. Yeah, yeah. Bessie's mum was saying, um, "Oh, just so you know, you probably get rejected by everybody, so don't get your hopes up." <laughs> I just thought, okay, but I'm just gonna give it a go and see what happens. But I remember you doing the research. You spent quite a lot of time about it, and we were quite thorough. So, what was your sort of criteria for the publishers you would choose if if you can remember um i looked for um well publishers that would take um a manuscript from a new author and someone who didn't have an agent would be like the first one but then also looking at how established they are um so austin mccauley are international publisher independent mm. publisher so they were you know well established yep. good brand you know, had a, quite a, a range of different genres, but quite established uh, category, children's category as well. Um, so I think they were like one of my top choices when they came back okay. first and wrote a really nice glowing letter. So I was very impressed. And the book, what's the book about? Um, so the, the book is essentially a story about Millie and Tilly, who are these googly eye cats. Um, so they have very, very large googly eyes um, and they belong to Penny so the book was written when she was obviously 
young, like under two. Um, and these two cats, um, during the day, they sit on the mat and play games and act like normal toys. But then at night when Penny's asleep, they creep out the back door in search of fun and adventure. And they do all sorts of naughty things like ransack bins, scrap with other cats and just generally cause all sorts of mischief. And then at the end of the night, they, they sneak back inside and they wipe their paws clean on the mat um, and get back inside so Penny doesn't know where they've been and doesn't know they've been out all night. Yeah. And, and, then, and, then, and then one night they do go out when there's heavy snow and they basically get stuck. <laughs> and they're rescued by your the Nala, the, well, the dog inspired by Nala. Yeah. Um, and where can you buy the book from? Um, you can get it from Amazon. Um, you can also get it directly from Austin Macaulay. Um, it's also available online from Smiths, Foils and Waterstones. And hopefully when things actually reopen, you can perhaps go to some of those shops and buy it. Let's hope anyway. Yeah, hopefully. Um, will there be a second book, a third book? Um, yeah, well, I hope so. I've actually started a second book already. I've started two different versions of the second book because I, I kept kind of changing my mind. Mm. Um, and then I have actually written another book about Penny too, which is finished. So, um, but I think the, the googly-eyed cat seemed to be a hit so far with the kids. So that I think is a theme I'll definitely be, um, I'll be writing about them or finishing that second book. And the book that's finished about Penny, what's that about? Oh, it's just about her being really naughty and basically trashing my makeup and <laughs> doing all sorts of really naughty things when I'm not there. So yes. It's very true to life. Yes. Yes, I can imagine, and um, never sitting still and not listening to anyone unless she wants to. Exactly. Yeah. Do you want to read an extract from the book? Um, yes, I'll read the beginning. Um, Millie and Tilly are googly-eyed cats. They belong to Penny and live on her mat. During the day, they act like toys, meowing about with gusto and poise. But during the night, they like to sneak out for fun and games while no one is about. Ransacking bins and scrapping with cats, their naughty antics are far from the mat. Burgling houses and stealing their meat from fish to chicken, such a feast to eat. At the end of the night, they wipe their paws clean so Penny won't know where on earth they've been. They creep back inside and onto the mat, ready for a game of this and that. Well, and if you want to know what happens next, you'll have to buy the book. But, um, well, Henrietta McKenzie, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been good fun. Good. That was an interview with my sister, Henrietta McKenzie, about the writing of her first book, uh, The Secret Lives of Two Googly-Eyed Cats, published by Austin Macaulay. And this will be the first of what I hope will develop into a series of monthly episodes, and I've decided to call the series The Things That Drive Us. That's partly because all the other names I came up with had already been taken, but also because I think it reflects what it is I hope to look at, talk about with various different people. Those sources of inspiration, the drivers that cause them to produce the things they do and act in the way they do. Um, and hopefully it will produce something interesting. I'm William McKenzie. I am a lawyer most of the time and an artist whenever I can be. I have a website, William John McKenzie, that's McKenzie, M-A-C-K, dot com. Um, so check that out. I will probably talk more about my own 
inspirations and what I'm trying to do with my creative process in the future. I may do a specific episode on that. But in the meantime, I hope to be able to bring you a variety of different conversations which you will find interesting. Anyway, please do subscribe and give a review if you can. Tell all your friends and thank you very much for listening.